planting a church. What is church for? Is it simply a building that tells you to do something or not do something, or is it something more? That's coming up next right here on The Parker J. Cole Show. And welcome to the Parker J. Cole Show. I am your host, the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor, David Lee Martin. We just met last year. We had a great time. And I learned that he was a pastor. He's a writer. And he's just an all-around nice guy. But more than that, he is gung-ho and on fire for Christ. And as we were talking We wanted to give you a podcast about church. Right now, church attendance is low. People don't feel the need to even go to church. They have lost public trust in its leaders. And you may be thinking, is this the end of the church? Are we going into some desert where the church doesn't exist? But I am here to tell you, no, God does not run out of anyone yet. And guess what? In the darkness, the light shines brighter, but we have to do our part. And David is going to give us reasons for why we plant churches, what the church is for, and what we can do to make sure that we are effective witnesses in Christ. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Parker. Thanks. It's great to be here with you. And I just feel so encouraged. I'm, I'm always encouraged, Parker, by your passion for Jesus. I've got to say. You are a fiery lady. I am so glad that you said that because sometimes I don't feel that way, but thank you so much for saying that. And I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be here with us. I never take it lightly when we have our guests and you are no exception. Today, we're going to be talking about church. Why bother? Why go? What is planting churches all about? Why do we go to church? And I would love for you to expand on this topic. But before I do that, I want people to know a little bit about you. Go ahead and share some things that you think our listeners would need to know about you. Um, I don't know that there's necessarily anything that someone would need to know about me, Parker, but they may want to know that I'm happily married to one wife. I have four kids. So I've got two older kids. One is an actor. My eldest son is an actor. My next down, my 20-year-old daughter is a ballet dancer with the Royal Ballet here in the UK. And then I've got two younger boys as well who are, we're a very artistic family, Parker. As you know, I'm a writer. My wife is a dancer. But we've also spent, as you've alluded to, we've spent a good kind of past 30 years pastoring, planting churches, We're presently part of a church plant. Another younger couple are planting a church here in our hometown that we're now part of. So, uh, yeah, we are very, very passionate. People first to follow Jesus, but then to understand that Jesus also works through a body. You know, it's the idea that we can have and know and walk with and follow Jesus at a distance in the sense of like, hey, Jesus is in heaven and I'm just here on earth and I'm just going to do my Jesus thing here, you know, without being part of anything broader or bigger than me and my Lord is just really a delusion. It's You cannot grow 
and become the person you need to be without being challenged to love others. And church, I think, gives us the opportunity to grow in love and to exercise ourselves serving something other than and bigger than ourselves. You bring up an important point when you said that we are to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Right now, the self is on a altar of gratification. Whatever I feel, however I feel, that is more important than what is all around me. And the church allows us to realize that we are here to be a blessing to others, but we're also here to be agents of change. Let's talk about that for a moment. How effective has the church been throughout history ever since it was instituted back in the ancient world? Yeah, I think it really depends whether you look at the church as an institution and an organization, which to a large degree has been in some ways detrimental to men. It's like when men, bringing it back to the personal thing, bringing it back to the kind of obsession that the world sometimes has with itself, me, myself, and I, you know, the unholy trinity. I think there's a a danger where a man in and of himself, in his flesh, wants to make a God in his image. He wants a God that he can understand and a God who does things the way that he thinks or she thinks he should do them. But as we know, God made us in his image, his reflection, not the other way around. And I think it's the same with his body, the same with his church. It's very easy for people to look at. I I looked like I saw church very much like this before I encountered. I had a radical encounter with Jesus when I was 19 years old. And prior to that, the idea of church was just, I just found the whole thing of church and religion and all, all that went with that kind of absurd. And it's partly because the church as far as I understood it, was just a building that kind of went through a bunch of rituals every week. Essentially, man has made of this idea of a called out community. And, you know, it's been ritualized to death. But the church that we see in the New Testament is a spiritual body. It's a spiritual body of people who've encountered the living God. And there's a big difference between those two things. There's a big difference between an organization and an organism, if you know what I mean. There's a big difference between this physical building that many people call the church and what, you know, people will say, I'm going to church. Well, how do you do that? You are the church. The church is the one doing the going. Whether that's into a spired building or into a warehouse or into a town square or whatever, the church goes, we don't go to church, if you know what I mean. And so it's those two different perspectives, you know, understanding that what Jesus instituted wasn't a religion. He didn't come to start a new religion. He didn't come to take away one set of rituals and add a whole bunch of other ones that are just the upgrade, he actually came to infill and infuse a new creation, a new people who are called out of darkness into light so we can represent or represent 
him to a world that, quite frankly, desperately needs to see something more than the world can offer them. And in our present situation, you know, with the darkness that we're seeing, and I think every age has seen this, and every age has seen this both in society, it's in it in within the church as well as in the organized church, but in every generation, God has raised up or his chosen people to bring light and bring revelation and bring something of heaven's reality, even in the midst of the confusion. And so from that perspective for me, there is no other answer for the world other than the local church. And by local church, I mean like people on the ground engaging with people, not just someone on the other side of the planet that we watch on YouTube for half an hour on Sunday morning, but actually down and dirty, in the trenches, loving, helping, hurting, laughing, dancing, singing people together, trying to work out this thing called life. I wanted to underpin some of the things you were saying because I was just resonating with your words. And it caused me to pull up three scriptures. So I went to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, and it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. And this talks about church attendance, but I like how you said it's not an organization, but an organism. And that brought me to Acts chapter 2, when the church age began, as it's been historically taught to us. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And then they went out and started to preach to everybody. So that's the organism. That's the living part. That's the activeness of church. And you contrasted this view of church with what you thought religion was all about, which was ritual and was ritual and routine. And that brought me to First Peter. And First Peter chapter 2 says, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And all those scriptures really underpin what you just said. And so when we ask ourselves the question, church, why bother? This is why we're, we bother with it, because we are not meant to live in isolation. We're meant to live in community. We're not meant to simply follow ritual and routine. We're supposed to be active. We're not merely an organization, but we are an organism. And I just wanted to put a pin in that. Yeah, yeah. It's very easy for us to forget, Parker, how much we need others. Amen. We're so self-reliant in our Western culture, and we forget how desperately and deeply we need other people and need one another. And that's why one another is such a big factor throughout, particularly throughout the New Testament. I mean, a great study for any of us to do 
is to just take all of the one another's from the New Testament and see what is taught about it. And we find that God is emphasizes one another in a big way. And I think just in a self-reliant, self-satisfied culture, it's easy for us to forget that, you know, we're not doing Jesus a favor or the church a favor simply because we turn up on Sunday morning or Thursday night or whenever it may be that a church meeting is taking place. Like, like we're going there like some benefactor. It's actually a privilege. We have the privilege. I mean, I say this about I say this about prayer too. I mean, I, I love to pray. That's really my greatest joy is the prayer closet. We don't have to pray. We get to pray. We don't have to read the Bible. We get to read the Bible. We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. <laughs> you know, like like seriously, what a blessing. What would this life be? And I tried life without Jesus for a good two decades. And I just cannot imagine now I'm like just over three further decades on from that incredible encounter that I experienced when I was a young man. I can't imagine life without Jesus. And I find that Jesus works in and through people. It's as simple as that. If we want to know Jesus, we've got to be willing, number one, to be vulnerable enough to be known, and number two, be courageous enough to get to know others. You talk about how we're not to do this life alone, and of course it makes it go back to Scripture, because this is where we need to understand why church, why bother, what's it here for, what it's supposed to be doing. And so we go back to Scripture, and I want to go to Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to verse 34. And it talks about just how everyone who was in this place were on one accord. And it says, neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And this is important because it lets you know that not only are we supposed to be in praise and worship with each other, but we can be a help to each other. Because you never know when you go to church, someone may not have eaten that day. Someone may not, someone may have lost their job. I know for myself during the pandemic at my church, they were able to help me pay one of my bills. And that was just during the pandemic. And I did not want to submit my name because I'm like, well, I don't have any children. I'm not a single mom struggling. I just need help with this month's bills. Should I put, and they just said, put your name in. You never know. <laughs> so here I am. No, I'm going to do this by myself. I'm starving, but that's okay. <laughs> I can, I can lose a, a pound or two, you know, but the Lord said, you know, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be open unto you. And my old pastor told me one time, Dave, he said, A-S-K, in the English version, A-S-K, ask. <laughs> Sometimes we need to do that. So let's go into some more about the church here. So we know what the church is. It's not just an organization or it's an organism. We know we're supposed to be together, working together. But we are also supposed to be a light in a world full of darkness. Let's talk about where the church, who we are, what we're supposed to do with that darkness. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take much of a stretch of anyone's imagination to know that the world is dark and 
seemingly getting darker in many ways. There's a, there's a lot of confusion around. I always look at it like God, that nothing takes place without God's permission. And as much as that's a hard kind of thought to get your head around and we, we could, you know, you could kind of roll out on that one and ask all sorts of questions about why does God allow this and why does God allow that? But, you know, no, nothing's going to catch him by surprise. He, the, the scriptures clearly teach that in as we come towards the end of the age, and I'm, no, I'm not a doomsayer, Joe, and I'm not in a sense saying, oh, right, the end of the world is nigh, you know, but the end of the world is nigh, Parker. You know, like it's, you know whether it's going to be 100 years or whether it's going to be 10 years, you know, I don't know. I just know that we're a lot closer to it now than when many of the words that we read in Scripture were written, and even then they were saying it's coming quick. And it talks about how we will come into days of such darkness that it will be sensible. I mean, it will be gross. You'll be able to feel the substance of the darkness that kind of envelops much of what we call society and the world. But alongside that, it talks about the glory of the gospel shining brighter and brighter. And, you know, we can be fearful sometimes, I think, um, as Christians and as a church, we can lament all of the things that not the way that we believe they should be or, but the truth be told, you know, the darker the backdrop, the brighter the light that shines when it's allowed to shine. And I think that much of what's taken place in the world is really causing the church to ask the question, what does this really look like? What does this church thing? What does this Jesus thing? How is it supposed to work? You know, we find ourselves sometimes clothed in all of the same problems and issues that the world is clothed in, and it oughtn't to be that way, really. Not that we're immune to the same problems, but I think that the church, in a sense, has often lampooned the world in an effort to reach the world. But God has called his people out and set them apart to be different. And that doesn't mean different in a sense of like sat on a hill pointing fingers saying you're wrong, but different in a sense of like, wow, what is it about this people? Why are they not fearful? Why are they not concerned like we are? Why are they not allowing themselves to be upset or angered or whatever else it may be? What is it about this church bunch, this Jesus people, that allows them to live with a peace that goes beyond reason, peace that goes beyond understanding? I mean, I'm convicted by the scripture where John said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. That's a convicting scripture because when I look at the church and when, well, certainly when the, when the world looks at much of what's taking place in the church, and of course, a lot of the negative is too often emphasized. When we w watch the news and things like that, you know, news Good news doesn't sell. So it's always, so, you know, this person has fallen or this is happening, this bad thing or this is going on. There, and yet there is so much, so many wonderful works that are taking place in and through God's people right now as we speak that, that never get fanfared, never 
you don't get the headlines about them. But that light is going to shine brighter and brighter as time goes on. And the difference between those who have an eternal perspective and those who are caught in the temporal is going to become ever clearer. You know, I mean, in, yeah, like, like Paul said. And again, I mean, I'm, I say these things and I, I read them and I think, oh, Lord, if only I could grasp the, the, this, the truth of this in a more real way for myself and my own life. But Paul said, you know, I don't know whether to stay or go. You know, to die is gain. Like the worst that the world and the devil could throw at him, he said, that, that's gain for me. You know, if the worst you can do is kill me, if the worst that can happen is I die, then that's just my, that's graduation for me. And I'm like, well, okay, so like the devil's top trump is ultimately a blessing to the people of God because they know that that's not where things finish. I love that you said that, Dave. I love that. It reminds me of this creation scientist back in the day who was real popular. And he said, Paul was like, if you don't get it together, Paul, we're going to kill you. <laughs> he said, Paul was like, really? <laughs> Take your best shot. Yeah. Because <laughs> he said to live is Christ and to die is the gay. So that's why he struggled with that. And I love that you said this before about putting our focus not on the temporal, but on the eternal. And we do live in the temporal, so we can't ignore it. We are here. The Lord has us here. And it brought me to another verse I wanted to share, because I always like to underpin what we're talking about with Scripture. And it's First Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And that's with gentleness and respect. And I think that's very important because in the world that wants to cancel you, if you do not go along with the popular group think, and it can affect your job, it can affect your relationships, it can affect those of us who have platforms, it can be really damaging. And a lot of Christians, and I'll put myself in that, have sometimes been fearful of saying certain things because it's not part of the group think. It's not part of what's popular. I don't want to hear, but what makes me feel good. And that may be difficult for us to hear, and so we don't say anything. But God calls us to be change agents in the culture. And so in Acts 26, it says to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And this is extremely important. Why bother? Church is supposed to be that lighthouse, if you will, in the darkness. We're supposed to be drawn to it. But we have to go back to John, the first chapter of John, which is one of my favorites. And it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then it goes down further and it said, that was the true light, talking about Christ, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. But he came unto his own, received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And this is the beautiful part of the hope that we have in us. So when people look at us and say, why are you not worried about these temporal things? Why are you not worried? And the altar will be death. 
if someone, if you are killed for your faith, as we know that happens across the world, in different parts of the world, you are killed for your faith. If they find out you are a Christian, you can be killed, jailed, stoned, hanged. And why does that not make you afraid? You see what I'm saying? And so it's like, that's the kind of hope we have. Here in the West, we've gotten too lax and we can talk about West and East all day, but you've got a little lax in that because we think it's a, a right and it's actually a privilege. We had a man come to our church, Dave. He was from a Middle Eastern country. I cannot remember, but he said, here, you don't understand it is a privilege to go to church and worship. And then our pastor went to another Middle Eastern country recently and they were in hiding at this particular church. And he couldn't even go outside and do his video address to us because he went outside, they can get in serious trouble. And they asked the church members, hey, how can we pray for you here over here? She said, pray that we continue not to be afraid. That's what they asked. They just say continue. Yeah, no, we've, um, when I was in my first church plant, um, we traveled with another minister and we spent quite some time in Jordan. And we were bringing pastors in from Iraq and Syria um, and uh, across that entire kind of Middle East region. And some of the stories, I mean, it's actually quite, um, it's almost beyond our imagination, really. I think there's a a danger sometimes that the West can just take it. It's easy when you are immersed in a culture not to be able to see the culture that you're immersed in. Okay. And, And to see how deeply we are shaped by the culture that we're immersed in. And I think that the kind of American dream, British dream, whatever dream you want to call it, of independence and has been kind of perverted into just a pursuit of self, a purely self-indulgent, who cares about anyone else? I'm going to amass wealth, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes we can be so immersed in this self-indulgent Jesus exists to bless me. Jesus exists for me to succeed, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's all about, again, that, that me, myself, and I type of thing. What's my calling? What's my anointing, et cetera? What's there for me in this church service? You know, how is this church going to help me, et cetera? But you go into a different culture those are not the kind of things that people are thinking or seeing or asking. I mean, it's a different world altogether. But I do believe that we will see in coming years a much greater pressure upon the church to conform to the world and to its value systems and to its perception of how things should be. And that's going to force God's people really to make much more quality, a much deeper commitment to the things that we do believe. It's not that we don't believe them now, but many of the things that we claim in our creed have not been tested in the way that they have in some other countries and some other cultures. But we're not, we are, although the Lord has been gracious to give us so much liberty and so much it's such a broad, it's like that we've had, uh, we, we spoke earlier, Parker, about how there's been this broad gray area where you can claim Christ and yet still very much lean in and lead your life in a worldly fashion. 
and yet say I'm I'm a Christian. I think that there's going to be less and less opportunity for that kind of half-hearted pursuit of God because the world will squeeze the church and want it to conform it to its own image. Um, It's actually, as much as it will hurt in many respects, it will be a great blessing because it will highlight those areas of compromise and it will also cause God's people to make much firmer, much more real decisions as to who they are, first and foremost. Who are we as God's people? And then as a result of who we are, how do we then live? How does this look? And the outcome of it undoubtedly will be less focused on myself and more focused on others. Instead of what can I get, the question will be what can I give? How can I help? How can I lend my strength to lift someone else up? And the love that the scriptures talk about there in John, like, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, not by the great church services that you run, although that may be the case, not by a lot of the metrics that maybe we could be tempted to measure ourselves by now, but just by this one thing, by the love that you demonstrate. I mean, imagine if that were the sole focus of the people of God. How can I love more? How can I love today? How can I love someone better? How can I improve the quality and the quantity of love that I demonstrate to the people that I have the opportunity to demonstrate it to? That would be a radical paradigm shift. I love that you said that. And I want to just go back and underpin something that you said, because here we're immersed in a culture that has enwrapped in a lot of Christian things. I'm using the wrong word, but it's enwrapped in Christian, like the whole idea that people are created equal no matter what they are. That is a, really comes from Christianity. That really comes from that. The country, for all of our founding fathers' thoughts here in the, in the U.S., when they went against you guys, sorry, Dave, you know, <laughs> when they went against uh, England, it was because of these things that they believed in. Now, we both know in the U.S. the founding fathers were not perfect, but then who is? But they believed this because of the Christian ideologies of the time and what was written in the Bible. And so here in Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athena, I believe. And he says here, 18, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encounter him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he had preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Then they go further down and it says, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars' heel and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. But as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. And so he begins to go into who this quote unquote unknown God is. And he was in a foreign place where they didn't have Judaism. You know, and matter of fact, this particular place was very common for different ideas to share. They had all sorts of things they talked about then. It wasn't even about whether they believed it, they just want to hear something new all the time. Just itchy ears. What you got to say here? What you got to say there? And so here is Paul talking about, hey, this unknown God, 
this is who he is. And so when he did that, uh, in verse 32, it says, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again on this manner. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit, certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius and a woman named Demarius and others with them. So it lets you know, just because you're in a foreign land, God is still calling you to speak the truth. And you don't know who that truth is going to fall upon. That's why we plant churches and you plant those churches in places that may not be receptive, but you don't know who's going to hear the message because as we go back to John, the light is supposed to shine in the darkness. And so, Dave, I want to thank you so much for being with me on the show today. I certainly enjoyed having you, really enjoyed your conversation, your talk, just your calming voice that just really soothed me as we were talking. And the few moments that we have left, what I would love for you to do is simply say a prayer for us here that we be stronger agents of the Lord. I would love to. Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I thank you, God, that you've called us as your people and that you have come and taken up residence within us. Holy Spirit, my prayer for everyone here who is listening is that they would know you in a deeper way, that you would lead their every step and that you would carry them into that place of intimate communion with yourself. And from there, Father, you would lead us into a deeper communion and connection with one another. Lord, I just declare blessing and grace upon the households that are represented here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. David, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being with us today. I would love to have the opportunity for people to connect with you, your writing, and your work. So go ahead and share your social media outlets. Just go to my website, davidleemartin.com. I also have actually a Bible school, an online Bible school, the Spirit Life Bible School. They can go to jesuschrist.co.uk. You'll find and uh, and I run a creative academy, Christian Creative Academy, christiancreative.academy. Dave, so much for being with us today. And we were talking today to David Lee Martin. He is an author, a pastor, a church planter. I really hope that you were invigorated by the words that he said. I know I was, particularly when he talked about the church is not an organization, it's an organism. And when you hear that term, you think of something that is breathing, that is active. Electrical pulses are going through its body. It's doing things. It's moving things. It's creating things. What does a church create? A place of refuge, a place of growth, a place to know more about what God wants us to do, and then take that information and bring someone else into the fold. We are not meant to simply sit in routine and ritual. However, we are to be agents of change in the culture. As the world darkens around us, God is calling us to be light, not dimmers. What are you going to do today? Because the church is not in a steeple or a spire. The church is you because the spirit of Christ lives in you. Are you going to take up your cross and follow him to help lead others to the light that is in Christ? Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious blessed day. And God bless. <laughs>